The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of Jubagali, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. There's a lot to consider when it comes to reproductive choice. Evolving social norms mean that women don't have to follow a one-way path to motherhood. Either flying solo or coupled, hetero or queer, when it comes to taking control of fertility, there's IVF, egg freezing and more. And the decision to have children only leads to more questions about careers, relationships and the state of the world. At All About Women 2023, our panellists share their research and lived experiences about biological clocks, climate anxiety and the latest in fertility science. Journalists Brooke Boney, Gina Rushton and Dr Natasha Andreatis explore the minefield of baby-making in the modern world with host Sana Kadar. This talk was recorded live at the Sydney Opera House in March 2023. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Maybe Baby at All About Women. I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we gather today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present, and extend my respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people present today. My name is Sana Kadar. I host All in the Mind on ABC Radio National, and I'm so excited to be here for a few reasons. First of all, this is my very first All About Women, so I'm popping my cherry today, which is kind of fitting for today's panel. Uh, B, we're sold out. This event is sold out, which is incredible. And I'm not surprised because C, every woman I've spoken to about this panel in the last couple of weeks has had so much to say. They've had a lot of questions, they've had a lot of frustrations, and they've had a lot of worry. Because for those of us lucky enough to be able to make a choice about motherhood, because we know it is not always a choice made freely, there's so much to consider. There is the climate, the cost, the biological clock. I could definitely go on, but I won't because I'll leave it for our panel to discuss. So let me introduce them. We have with us the Today Show's entertainment reporter and someone who has gone through the procedure of freezing her eggs, Brooke Boney. Please welcome her onto the stage. Hello. We also have editor, reporter, and author of The Most Important Job in the World on the Contradictions of Choice and the Mythology of Motherhood, Gina Rushton. And last but not least, gynecologist, fertility specialist, and host of the Fanny Mechanic podcast, Dr. <laughs> Natasha Andreadis. I will start with you, Brooke, because mm -hmm. you have gone through the procedure of freezing your eggs, and it was a breakup in your early 30s that led to the choice. Tell me about that. So it was right at the end of the first series of lockdowns, and, you know, we'd been together for a few years, so, you know, since my late 20s, and I thought just that it was natural that I was going to be having children, and, and that was the logical next step. And so when it's sort of, when I realised that we weren't, at that point yet, I thought, oh, okay, well, 
I guess I'd probably better think about looking at whether or not I'm fertile and, and how many eggs I've got and follicles, things like that. And um, I have to say, like, when I started exploring all of the options and, and thinking seriously about it, I was so relieved because I thought that because I'd left it for so long and I just assumed that it would happen for me, that maybe, you know, maybe I'd left it too late. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't something that was, you know, going to happen for me. And I, I always just assumed that I would be a mother. I, I you know, I, I really wanted that for myself. And so to sort of start that process and really interrogate my thinking around motherhood and what it would mean for me and, and what it would look like, you know, over the next five years was such an incredible process. It was not at all what I expected. Yeah. Was it, was it a fraught process to get to the point of deciding to freeze, freeze your eggs or was it sort of, you know, these are the facts of what's happened. This is what I got to do to give myself an insurance policy. Um, it, it didn't feel scary to, to do it. it. It felt like, okay, you know, this is a normal and natural thing to do. And so when I started going through the process and they, you know, like they scan and they look how many follicles you've got and measure all of your, you know, the the hormone levels in your blood and things. It is scary because it's like waiting for like a, um, I don't know, like the results from an exam or something. Yeah. Like, oh, have I been kind to my body? Has nature been kind to me? You know, and you you have no control over it. So it's it's a terrifying process. But I thought I want to give myself the best possible chance. And I think you know, we were just talking about this before. When you look at the number of eggs that you need to get a live birth and, you know, they give you like a, a chart with if this is your age and this is how many um, you've got frozen, then this is the percentage that you're, you know, that you could have a, a live birth. And when you start to look at the numbers, you're like, how How are there so many people? How does anyone get born? How does yeah. anyone get pregnant? Yeah. It seems like a miracle. Like yeah. this is wild. Um, and so when I started sort of breaking all of that down, I was like, oh, maybe this isn't going to happen for me. Mm. Maybe this isn't going to be as easy as what I thought it was. Uh, Natasha, tell us some of the numbers. Like, so is Brooke, you know, she went in her, in her early thirties to freeze her eggs. Is that pretty typical of the kind of woman you see coming to your clinic? Are they usually in their early-ish thirties? I usually see patients between the age of 30 to 40. Okay. Uh, most recently, I think my youngest uh, egg freezing patient was a 17-year-old transgender male. Uh, who wanted to freeze eggs before going on testosterone. Mm. Um, and that was a disappointing cycle because we didn't get many eggs at all. Uh, so anything can happen during an egg freezing process. Uh, so a lot of it is about managing patient expectation. So going into an IVF cycle or egg freezing cycle is a sim similar process. Uh, you may get zero eggs, you may get 30, 40. Uh, what we want as doctors is for patients to go through safely so we don't want people to get sick from doing ovarian stimulation or egg freezing. Uh, we want ideally good quality eggs, and that often means anywhere between, say, 10 or 20 eggs. Um, and then it depends on how old you are, mm. how many cycles you need to go through. So if you are a 30-year-old woman and you've got 10 eggs from one cycle, 10 mature eggs, because we can only make a baby using mature eggs, not immature eggs. You are there's a, a chance you might be getting immature eggs out. Of course. So it's, yep. I say to patients, it's like when you go to the supermarket and you buy eggs, a carton of eggs, you know, you, you, I always peek, I always look to make sure that every egg is perfect. Mm. Right. My mum does that. <laughs> yeah. 
But with, with, a, with an IVF cycle, ovarian stimulation cycle, you can't do that. You physically go in and you drain all the follicles that you can see as a clinician and then the scientists will look at the, the eggs and they'll say, we have X amount of mature eggs or X amount of immature eggs. And so whilst I might retrieve 15 eggs, only five may be mature, mm. the rest are discarded. And we actually have no control over that. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it is about expectation. And in terms of like, if you get the five eggs or however many eggs that are mature, there's so many factors along the way where they could not be viable by the end, right? Can you talk through, you know, what are the various ways they might end up not ever producing well, a child? Well, the human egg is the biggest cell in the body. So, um, you know, we've been freezing sperm uh, a lot longer than we've been freezing eggs. And it's got to do with science and technology. So when you've frozen that egg, it, okay, it's frozen. Where are you freezing it? How is that egg being frozen? So different laboratories do egg, different egg freezing techniques. Um, when you thaw that egg, when you remove it from the freezer, how does it survive? Does it like being out in, at 36, you know, room temperature? And what happens to it when it's, when it's injected with sperm? How does it develop? Does it fertilize? Will it get to blastocyst stage, mm -hmm. uh, which is five days after insemination? So there are all these hurdles that the eggs must go through. Um, having said that, it's still a miracle that we are getting babies from frozen eggs. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's pretty amazing that women have this ability and it's empowering for women to do it, to be able to do it. I haven't met a woman who has ever regretted freezing their eggs, mm. but I've met many women who have regretted not freezing mm. their eggs. It's just to say, well, at least I gave it a chance. Yeah. You know, I, I gave it a go. Um, I wish it didn't cost women so much money that they, you know, people dip into their superannuation to, yeah. to fund it. You know, they, they borrow money, um, but they'll do what they have to do to make themselves feel better so that then, yeah, they don't make the wrong decision and meet some random guy that just stuffs up their life forever, you know. It's like, yes. don't want know, that. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay, so a breakup in your 30s was why you started to think about your fertility. That's mm. a very common reason. Another reason people might start to panic about their fertility in their 30s is they stick around with a time-wasting partner too long. And Gina, you spoke to so many people as part of your book about motherhood and indecision around motherhood. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular woman who stuck with a partner far too long, who mm -hmm. could not make up his mind. Mm. Tell us Sheree's story. Yeah. Well, it's actually worse than that because he, <laughs> on their first date, she said that she wanted to be mum Monday and that was kind of out in the open mentioned. I think they were like 26, 27 at that time. And she kind of mentioned it and was quite honest about it because she didn't think the date was actually going to go anywhere and that she was that interested in him. But um, so she wasn't, you know, trying to self-censor or be chill or come across as, you know, a woman who didn't care about the passage of time. Yeah. Um, and she, they ended up in a relationship, kind of didn't talk about it for a couple of years because she was like, he already knows how I feel, so that's fine. And then it, he'd said that he did want kids. That was fine. Another year passed. Um, pandemic happened, bushfires, like the kind of time passed. She kept, they kept kind of, it was always evident that they were going to have kids. And then um, he said, actually, I don't really know if I want kids. And... Uh, they ended up breaking and she she said uh, in, in the course of that relationship, my doctor thinks I should get the AMH test and test, you know, do a few tests around my fertility. He was like, oh, can we just put this conversation off for a bit longer? So she didn't get the tests at the time. And she ended up, um, they broke up. 
she ended up getting the tests and she had a really, really low um, ovarian reserve and went through a few cycles trying to freeze eggs. It didn't um, work out. Um, and she's now kind of starting to accept maybe that probably she won't be able to have kids um, and has always known she wanted to be a mother. And she came across his dating profile after they broke up and it said, um, wants kids one day. Um, which for me, I mean, the reason why I put it in the book was it was such a perfect encapsulation of the f- anger that people feel around this and the frustration that this is something that we have to think about all the time. And obviously all fertility declines with age. You know, we, we take, women take on that burden um, a lot more, but for him to have the luxury of kind of reconsidering it at a later date with someone else, um, I think, yeah, a lot of people were pissed off when they read that bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so she wasn't, she hasn't been able to have children. No, no. I mean, that, that story is infuriating. Mm. Um, and yeah, has it resonated with a lot of readers? Like, what Yeah, do you yeah. Like? Even people in loving relationships, they're just like, I hate my partner for never having to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, or not being preoccupied with it in the same way. You know, like, um, because the thing is that even if you think you don't want kids or you're not sure or whatever, that there's still, you still feel at this age a sense that you have to answer the question. Yeah. 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 And, and then men also sort of write off women that are in that window being you know, obsessed with their fertility or panicked about it. Yeah, and the whole time you have to remain as though... You're chill, Appearing you're as though you don't actually care. Yeah. Can I say, though, that I don't care now? You don't? Yeah. Why? I, th- I think a few years ago I was so obsessed with it mm. and it was this thing where I was like, I, I must be a mother. I have to. This, you know, I'm so maternal. I really, really want this for myself. And, you know, of all of the things that I could achieve in my life, like, you know, get a better job or go and study or or have children, having children was the thing that resonated the most with me. Mm. And since I sort of just surrendered to the flow of life, you know, through the various lockdowns and iterations of, um, you know, not being able to travel and things like that, I feel so much happier. Wow. Mm. And now I think I'm a lot more realistic about the pressures of motherhood and, you know, the burden that that would place on me. And, I, you know, there's lots and lots of wonderful things about it, but I'm a lot more realistic about it now. And so now I don't mind so much Okay. either way. That's a much nicer place to be. Yeah. Think, right? Yeah. But I, I, I can empathise with that because, I th- you know, it's something that I talk about with my girlfriends all the time. Yeah. Probably half of our conversations. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and because it, it, the question wraps in so much. I mean, it's because it's the one thing that you kind of have to make a call on, but mm. it's, it's wrapping in everything that you feel about your future. Yeah. Kind of gets bundled up in this one question. And you have no control over it. Yeah, yeah. And we're made to feel like we have a lot more control than we do. Yeah. And Natasha, when we spoke on the phone in preparation for this event, you said you wanted to talk about a specific chapter of uh, Gina's book, and it was this exact chapter, Cherie's story. Why did that one hit you so hard as well? Because uh, I had exactly the same patient. But what I loved about this patient was she was super creative on how she was going to create her own family. So she had come to me to do some egg freezing. I had cancelled her cycle because she was only getting one follicle coming through. Mm. So what did she do? She rang up a mate and she said, let's have sex. Let's have a baby. And they did. And she had a baby. <laughs> and, um, Great. And then, Saved a lot of money. And then she came to me a few years later to do some more egg freezing And we kept cancelling cycle after cycle because we weren't getting any follicle development. And then she said, well, I've got a mate. uh, He might be a sperm donor for me. 
So we went through the formal, you know, quarantining infection screening with her donor. Mm-hmm. Um, she went through a cycle and she had one follicle, you know, we transferred the sperm and now she's got two kids. Wow. But what I, what I liked about her and what I like about a lot of the people that I see is they're very creative on how they go about making babies. Mm. It's, um, it doesn't have to be the typical box stereotype, you know, nuclear heteronormative thing that we're brought up to believe. You know, you can do things in such creative ways. And uh, I think women are in a, in a position now in society where we can because mm. we are financially um, much better off than we were 20, 30, mm. I don't know how many years ago. And we have a lot more power. Uh, so whilst it might seem a bit, I don't know, not negative, I, I'm overwhelmingly as a fertility specialist very positive about what I see women doing. Yeah, actually I was going to ask, what, with women who come to you, what's the biggest myth women have about IVF? Like, if we can bust some myths in this room for people who are interested and wondering, is this going to work? What is the biggest myth people seem to hold about the, what IVF and egg freezing can do? Uh, it will work. That's the biggest myth. Because there are a lot of people who do go through it who never get a baby with IVF. They often... I see couples who um, give up on having sex um, during IVF treatment, and I say, please keep having sex wow. between IVF treatments. Why do they give up on having sex? Oh, because, think? you know, they, they get sick of it, they get okay. bored, their libido's low. <laughs> um, they're like, I'll let the doctors deal with it, you know. Right. Uh, I, I, um, I understand that too, you know. Especially some guys, they, they, um, they get issues with getting an erection when they know it's time, it's ovulating. Mm. Um, but... Um, Which is weird because that's literally what the erection is for, right? Like, take that baby. (laughs) So, um, and I have a lot of patients who get pregnant between IVF cycles. Mm. And uh, and I have about adoption and fostering, so there are other ways of being parents. Um, Egg donation. I suppose one question I have for you, Brooke, is you've got these eggs sitting there. Mm. Okay, are you going to use them? Would you discard them, throw them in the bin, donate them to science or donate them to somebody else? Because we're, we're creating these egg banks because only about 7 to 10% of women come back to use their eggs. What are we doing? Are we wasting resources? We, we, Medicare, I, a lot of Medicare is paying for this. Your tax-paying money is paying for a lot of this egg freezing and we don't have these conversations enough to talk about, yeah, well, what are you going to do with those eggs? So my plan is, um, I, I just sort of will see what will happen over the next few years. I, I'm actually thinking about doing another round of freezing, but maybe freeze embryos with the donor, mm. just just in case I want to do that in a little while. And I, you know, I don't want to leave it too late. Yeah. Um, but I think I'll wait until I get to about 40 and then maybe see how I feel about going alone and um, but if not I don't I know this is really fraught and I don't want to upset anyone by saying it but I don't know if I would feel comfortable donating my eggs because I felt even weird leaving mm. them mm. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird and it is the hormones for sure you know you're pumping yourself full of all of these hormones crying during Ariana Grande song like, <laughs> a Qantas ad comes on and I'm like oh my god That actually happened in an ad break. So um, I was sitting on the desk uh, on the um, couch with Carl and Ali and an ad came on and I was doing the hormones. I was so emotional. Wow. And I just 
burst into tears and they were like, come on, it's fine, we're all happy. Like, Oh, my oh. gosh. The, the um, technical director's like, okay, we're back on in 30 seconds. And I was like, I just love my heart. So um, yeah, those hormones do make you... They loopy. really mess with you. I really loved them, though. You love them? What? Why? I did, because it was such a wild ride, you know? Like, it's such... <laughs> You're, where were you when I needed you when I was doing my hormones? Because <laughs> like, I did not love it, let me tell you. Yeah, I, I thought they were just so lovely because you feel everything so much more. I felt very, like, earth-mothery and woo-woo. Wow. And I was, like, when I was crying, I was, like, really indulging in it. I, like, I love this. This is beautiful. That's incredible. Okay, because yeah. so I've, I've done IVF, um, and yeah, I had all the hormones, and I hated it. I was bitter about the whole thing from woe to go. I didn't want to be pregnant. I didn't want to have to be thinking about my fertility at my early 30s, and I hated injecting myself, and I did not like the emotional ride. So that's nice to know that there's, you know, a different spin on that. Different experiences. Yeah. 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 I feel like but I think the PR, <laughs> you're making it sound like it's like MDMA or something. Yeah. They would go back and have a look at what I was actually injecting myself with. <laughs> Recreational well, well, that, hormones. That is, that is very typical of um, women who are in their early 40s when their, their hormones start to decline. When they get given hormones, they do. They feel so much better. I've had oh, so many wow. patients say, I, love oh, I feel really good. I wish this I is what estrogen is meant to feel like, you know. That's um, incredible, right. Yeah. I do want to ask about, on the, on the topic of like myth-busting, at what point, Natasha, is, is a person kind of playing with a bit of false hope? Like, at what point when they come to you, are you like, you know, we can try and we can spend that money if you want to, but, you know, we're really looking at slim chances here? Um, 40s in the late 40s, mid, mid to late 40s. Right. Yeah. So I personally, I don't treat or I don't recommend women have any um, IVF if they're 45 or over. Because I've never, with my personal statistics, have never made anyone pregnant over the age mm. of 43 using their own eggs. But of course, I'm not the only fertility specialist in Sydney. So I say, look, this is why I ethically do not feel comfortable doing this. But of course, you can seek out other doctors that might be able yeah. to help you. Because I just don't think it's fair. Um, I don't feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, sorry, if a woman freezes her eggs in her early 30s and goes to use them in her early 40s, how much more likely is she to have a live birth than if she was starting IVF in her early 40s? Like how much... Much more likely, 50%. Right, okay. Um, so it is a The issue I have with women having babies in their 40s is that you are, you've got 40-year-old plumbing, okay? So, <laughs> literally, you do. Um, and so you are more likely to have a far more complicated pregnancy... Uh, you are more likely to have a baby that is either growth-restricted or big. You're more likely to have a complicated labour. You're more likely to have a most complicated postnatal period. So I'm being honest. I'm, I feel that everyone should com have completed their family by 40, mm -hmm. not started at 40. But not every woman has that luxury, you know. Um, I feel like... They are geriatric pregnancies, um, they are. Yeah. Well, that's what we, we call hate them. that word, don't say, we? <laughs> but I feel like I've still just got so much more living to do, and I want to um, get a bit further in my career. Mm. It's so unfair that we have to take time out of it to have children, and the, all of the burden of yeah, you know, being pregnant and then looking after the baby when it's little, and all of that stuff is with women. Yeah, it's like a lottery. Like if you get a guy who is considerate and helpful, yeah. 
This is this is half my anger about having to have have gone through pregnancy. Why does it have to be all me? Yeah. I'm so bitter about it. I mean, I love my husband. I do. I think he's here somewhere, but you know, I just, I was like, why does every step of this have to be at a cost to my body, my job, my hormonal balance, you know, all of it. But sorry, but I take your point. Like it is more dangerous. Yeah. But I'm just not ready. Mm. And I wonder also how much like you know, it feels like every celebrity is having a kid after 40 now. And this is, there's like this PR around it almost. Um, how are they all doing it? Like, it, it makes it seem very it's achievable. It's called egg donation. That's what it's called. They're not using their own eggs. Or they're having three or four embryos pulled back, which is not good medicine. Yeah, in Australia, right. we don't do that. Um, in America, they do. They do some crazy yep. stuff in America. Um, <laughs> but Australia is very well funded. We live in a very lucky country for many reasons, but Medicare funds a lot of, of IVF treatment and we can afford to do things safely and we have great success rates in IVF in Australia uh, and we do things safely, which is putting back one embryo at a time. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. I want to take a step back from the IVF and freezing and actually before you even necessarily get to that stage, you might be battling with, do I want to be a mother or parent one day at all? And that's essentially what your book is grappling with, Gina, Mm. um, indecision around motherhood. Mm. Talk me through some of the factors that have made you doubt whether you want to be a parent one day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought I definitely didn't. And then I had, um, I ended up in the emergency room uh, with basically told that my ovary was dead, which um, I didn't know was a thing. I'd spent a long time reporting on reproductive health and rights. But um, they're like, your ovary's dead. We have to cut it out. Um, You're bleeding internally. Sign here. Like, it's going to affect your fertility. And I was really sad and I was really upset that I was sad because I was like, this shouldn't matter if I don't want kids. Also, I'd had a lot of morphine. Um, (laughs) And... The ovary lived um, once they drained all the blood out, but I do. They did find endometriosis, which is, was not a surprise. Like, if, I'm sure many people in this room have endometriosis, and you kind of are never su- surprised when you find out. Um, so that sort of sped up the question for me, because um, I was kind of like, I think I need to be clear about um, why I do or don't want kids. But the issues that came up in the book, which were things that came up in all the interviews I did, almost the interviews I did, were around. Um, different hopes and dreams that people had for their futures and it factored in heaps of stuff like climate, anxiety, um, relationships. Like there was a whole uh, chapter about mothering millennial men. And um, (laughs) Tell us more about that. Well, (laughs) um, actually, I was going to say, there there were friends of mine, some of them in this room, who kind of were considering this question of having or not having kids and were like, well, I already kind of have a kid. Um, Mm. And, like, why would I create another kid with this kid? And then we, this kid and I have to look after this kid. Um, And and actually, like, I'm I'm being a bitch, but the the chapter's, like, way more about um, masculinity and mental health and, like, why men have been socialised to not be emotionally expressive and the division of labour and the asymmetry in relationships and all that stuff. There are a lot of men in that who volunteered and participated in the chapter, knowing what it was. Um, uh, so, yeah, relationships and um, people had really strong ideas. So two chapters that I didn't have in my book proposal but I had to end up writing because they just came up in all the interviews was one was around fertility, which I didn't think I would be writing about because I was like, well, that's for people that have already made up their mind. They know they want to be parents and then they're thinking about fertility. But actually that comes up really early for a lot of people. Um, and the other one was... 
people was about um, the things we pass on or the way that our family histories shape whether or not we want kids. So traumatised childhood, but also people that had really amazing childhoods and, and kind of were like, well, I know the value of this strong parental relationship and I want to replicate it. Um, and then the other big thing that was about work and, and millennial women using work as a um, place of meaning-making and a sense of identity and being told that that is, like, your your purpose and your identity is so tied with um, your work output and how do you give that up to have a kid? I want to talk about climate because I don't think you can really have this discussion fully without talking about climate mm. in this day and age and, like, the anxiety around bringing a child into the world yeah. that is burning and flooding left, right and centre. Brooke, you, you've talked about you're, you're actually not necessarily sure... If, if, if motherhood doesn't happen for you, you seem okay with it now. Mm. D- does climate anxiety sort of weigh on you at all in terms of the decision of whether or not to have a child? Yeah, it does. I was talking with a girlfriend about it last night, actually. Like, I don't know... The world is such a difficult place at the moment, particularly yeah. after everything we've been through in the last few years and, you know, the way that people have reacted to things like Black Lives Matter and, and even, you know, this year, talking about... Um, January 26th, I'm like do I want to bring a child into this world? Like climate obviously yes is a concern but all of it, you know, mm. it's it's really difficult, it's like mostly, there's a lot of suffering at the moment Yeah, and you know, I'm a pretty happy and positive person but I think that life is pretty difficult at the moment and I don't see it getting much easier in the next few decades. Mm. Don't you think life's always been difficult? I think it's like, more difficult now. In some ways, yes, maybe in some ways, no. Yeah. I mean, you, if I, my mum's in here somewhere. <laughs> if, if I asked my mum, mum, what was it like when you were having us in the 70s? She'd be like, well... <laughs> <laughs> mum's in the house. <laughs> way to think but there's just so much suffering especially for people of colour yeah um and so I just don't know how I feel about it yeah I think that's understandable and Natasha for you 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 never wanted kids right what was what were the factors for you that you thought "Mm, I have no idea I just never had the instinct to have kids okay Mm. and um it's just never been a thing for me. I've never had to make a choice because it was like, well, I've never really wanted it. Again, I've had discussions with mum and my mum's like, what? You're a fertility specialist. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, my mum met my dad in, in her early, well, I think she was a teenager, late 19, 20, and then had three kids and very happily married to my dad for 53 years. He passed away last year. Mm. And... Um, and I just, I'm, I've always been comfortable with knowing that I am child-free by choice. And I, I, you, get a, you get a lot of judgment, let me tell yeah. you. Um, you know, you're judged a lot. But what do you mean? Why don't you want children? What's wrong with you? Mm. Oh, I don't know. This is the way I am. And similarly, I have a 10-year-old niece who was meant to come today, but she's at some kid's party at the moment. And... Um, she, she told me she wants four children. <laughs> and I went, that's bloody I mean, awesome. But let's talk about <laughs> periods first. How to avoid, how to avoid getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And then getting those four kids before you're 40. <laughs> Good aunt to have, handy. 
Yeah, judgment judgment is what I want to talk to talk about as well because it's so nice to be able to talk about these issues in a room like this because how judgy wudgy is the rest of the world when it comes to being child free by choice or even just delaying motherhood, you know? People love to sneer at women who maybe really like their career and chose that for a long time over starting a family and they get to their 30s and they're having troubles and and it's like they brought them on themselves, that kind of thing. Mm. Brooke, did you face much judgment and backlash when you wrote publicly about your egg freezing? Um, No. And if you know, people still send me messages about it. Oh, wow. Such, I'm so happy that I shared that experience with people because I think it really normalised that thing where you feel like you, you could be punished for, you know, um, indulging in like a bit of a selfish life, you know, yeah. by prioritizing you, yeah. by prioritizing fun, by prioritizing, you know, not settling down. Um, and so to be able to say to other people like, Hey, it's fine. You know, we're allowed to live like this and then also go and seek out the best possible option for our future, or, or at least, you know, explore what the options are for our future. It's not I think the idea around that sort of thing is, has shifted a lot, even just in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when I was... Because I'm turning 36 this year. When I was 30, it was like, oh, you know, if you don't settle down soon, then that's it. You know, you're one of those women who mm. is so career-focused. It's like the, a real idea of selfishness or... or um, I don't was know, this internally you were thinking or people were saying? I just think that was the idea. Okay. Like maybe, maybe it's, in, it's something that I internalised, but I, I think that's how people thought of women like that. And now I think that sort of thing is softening and people are open to accepting different lifestyles. Yeah. You know, what, do you, what do you think? You're, do you think the idea around people... What do you think people's idea of you has shifted in the last few years? Yeah, the way people react to your child-free-by-choice status. Do you get less I think now? they find it interesting. Like a lot of my patients ask me, because mm. I've got a lot of kids, babies in my office behind me, and sometimes they ask me, are any of these babies yours? Like, personally? Right? No. Um, and they're like... Oh. But I made them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and they're like, oh, wow, okay, you don't, you don't have kids. And they, they look at me and, and you know, they want, you can tell they want to uh, keep asking mm. questions. Yeah. And I just, I just go, I just roll with it. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to talk about this. I have no problems with who I am and my choices in life. Similarly, I'm not going to judge a woman if she wants to have six kids. I mean, there are people out there who judge someone who wants six children. Mm. Um, you know? Who doesn't get judged? I don't know. The people who want to have two or three. I don't know what's the right number of kids to have. Even that. Heteronuclear families. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, um, I I think what I meant was like the idea of women who didn't want to have children or who were maybe just a bit unsure about it. I think like five years ago it was like, oh, she's going to be a crazy cat lady spinster Mm. living on her own, drinking Chardonnay or whatever. And a bit sad. Sounds actually pretty lovely. (laughs) Um, But now it's like, oh, okay, no, she wants to be like financially independent. She'd rather go travelling. She is really invested in the lives of her nieces and nephews but doesn't feel like she wants to do that. Like, I think people are, are more open to other yeah. Yeah. You know, what do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, 
I think so. I mean, I think there's still a few limited scripts. Like I, and I do think people internalize them. Even like people that think they're, you know, like academically or intellectually know that they're not judging other people. Like feel like within themselves they need to justify if they don't have kids. And mm. I think the biggest one is like that if you don't have kids, you have to have some incredible career, and you yeah. have to be a girl boss and like whatever. Like it's very <laughs> like yeah. I came into the workforce the year that Lean In came out, and like that's very much the type of feminism that we've sort of metabolized. And I think that um, a lot of women I know are like, well, I don't want that either. Like, I can't be bothered with that. And I also don't want to have kids. Like, I just want to have a nice life and hang out with my friends. And is that, like, does that mean I have less a less valid identity if I'm not, mm. if it's not constructed around motherhood or in direct opposition to motherhood in the workplace? Yeah. With the women you see that come into your clinic, do you find a lot of them are battling this kind of shame and judgment, uh, you know, coming in in their 30s, 40s to have fertility treatment? Um, yes, I, I do. I see that a lot, which makes interesting discussion. But I think women are getting more uh, comfortable in their decision-making, though, because the discussions like this help yeah. facilitate that. Mm. Um, and then there are people who are happy to be aunts like me. I love being an aunt. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great that we're having this discussion because I'm yeah. hoping that people will become more comfortable uh, and in making decisions too. And, and, and men, along with that, you know, not just women. And I think it's very important we involve men in these discussions, that they should be roundtable discussions at home over the dinner table, you know? Mm. Um, you know what I thought was interesting when we were talking before about male fertility and how, you know, we put all this so much pressure on ourselves to, like, do it by a certain age, but men have declining fertility as well. No, it's not just on us. Yeah, Mick Jagger. So old maid in his Tinder bio, but, a, you know, <laughs> that clock's ticking yeah. for him too. Yeah. 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 yeah why do you... Iglesias and Mick Jagger, they're like the, the poster men for being Enrico older. Iglesias, really? Uh, uh, what's, oh, no, what's his dad's name? Enrico oh, Iglesias. Julio Iglesias. Oh, okay. Yeah, the older bloke. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there are significant issues with being an older father. That, Run us through them. Please yeah. tell us. Tell so, the room. What are the issues with the older dads? It, 40, uh, sperm that's over the age of 45, particularly over 50, uh, we know that the children conceived from that, that sperm are more likely to have autism, schizophrenia, sex chromosome abnormalities, quite a number of, of potential issues. So... Um, I had this discussion with a guy the other day and he came into my office, he's 55, he recently broke up with a woman and really wants to be a father. And uh, he said, I really want to freeze sperm just in case I meet Mrs. Wright. And I said, sure, well, let's, you can freeze sperm, but just know that these are the potential issues moving forward. And he said, oh, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, um, yeah because they're too busy worried about us and our cats and Chardonnay. <laughs> have to think about themselves. But why don't, why isn't this shouted at men the way women are told, you have very few years to get this stuff? Like, why are men, what, what is up with our society? Well, because the reality is they have, they do have it easier. Yeah. They actually do. Yeah. Um, and because they're not the made to feel like their God-given purpose on earth is to procreate. Yeah. Mm. So they're not feeling, it's not as though they're giving up as much because it's, yeah. Yeah. Haven't been socialized that way. I just want to ask Natasha, if you have one key piece of advice you would want to leave this room with, like top line, number one, this is what you should know leaving this room today, what would that be? Uh, education. So I think every woman needs to know about her menstrual cycle. So we should be throwing more period parties. When a girl gets her period, 
we need to celebrate the period. We need to explain to women what the menstrual cycle involves. It's not just about ovulation and getting pregnant. It's about, well, also about avoiding pregnancy and working with your menstrual cycle to help you maybe work out better at the gym, for example. And uh, men should be informed of this as well. So I think education is really important. And I, I think in the audience here, I've got my 14-year-old niece and my 16-year-old godson, Harry. Harry, are you here, Harry? <laughs> and um, and yeah, involving the men in, the, in this discussion. So I think education is key. And the nothing breaks my heart more than when I see a woman come to see me in her 40s and she's never been in tune with when ovulation is. Mm. And, and she hasn't tracked her cycle until she's in her 40s. I think, wow. So that's my last bit of... Very important yeah. advice. Um, okay, I'm going to start with some audience questions here. I do not want kids, but I frequently worry about doing a disservice to my future self who might change her mind one day. How do we reckon with this feeling? Gina, is this something you've dealt with? Um, It's really hard, and I find it so interesting how you were saying only 7 to 10% of people come back and use their eggs when they're frozen. Because I think that a lot of... um, it's not necessarily that people want kids, they want peace of mind and they want to feel like they've bought themselves time and they want to feel like they just don't need to think about it anymore because it's Mm. this consuming thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't have an answer for that. I wrote a whole book trying to figure that out and I still haven't. So I'm actually probably the worst person to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone else have thoughts on how you reckon with like, you know, you don't really want kids, but you're worried about your future self, future self regretting it? I think that's the reason that I did the egg freezing and why I'll do another round with, and try to get some embryos this year because it's not an insurance policy by any measure, but it's an insurance policy against regret. Mm. And I didn't want to get to a point where I am 40 or, you know, whatever, and think, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. I, I really regret not giving that more of a go. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky because I can afford to do it and, you know, have a nice job and nice friends and family who can look mm. after me and stuff, but... I wanted to do everything that I possibly could in case I do. Yeah. Uh, did you ever regret your choice not to have children, Natasha? God, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're so short-footed. I love it so much. No, I suppose because I also have nieces mm. um, that, uh, you know, I have a lot of fun with. So maybe if I didn't have nieces, maybe I would feel different. I don't know. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. Right. Know? Yeah. I think what I would regret more is if I um, did it with someone who wasn't suitable mm. and someone who stopped me from fulfilling my potential. Yes. That's what I'm more afraid of than, yeah. than missing out altogether. Mm. Same. I think that was, yeah. That I, I, totally I would say to this that. person, just do it. Do the, the Nike ad, just do it. <laughs> you, you, I don't think you'll just regret it. Just do what? It. Freeze your eggs or yeah, have freeze, a baby? I agree, with, I agree with Brooke. I think just, just freeze the eggs. Just okay. create the embryos. Do whatever you can. Mm. Hey, um, is there a sperm shortage? There is. Why? <laughs> Why is there a sperm shortage? Um, it's a commodity and the demand is high. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Noted. Because <laughs> yeah. well, I was looking at it for the embryos and I was like, gosh, where am I going to get my hands on some sperm? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, there's also Donor Bank. Um, lots of more oh, men are going to get the weirdest. But you've got to find this right. <laughs> you are going to get the weirdest DMs. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. All right, let me, let me throw another audience question in here. 
They say 40% of cases of difficulties of conceiving is because of male infertility. Fact check for this for us. But it's only checked after 6 to 12 months of trying. How is this fair? Firstly, is that accurate? And then, yes, how is this fair? It's not. Yes, that's accurate. Um, I suppose it depends on the age that you are. Your GP may recommend. Most people see their GP if they're struggling to conceive first. Mm-hmm. And the GP may say, because these are guidelines, you know, doctors like to follow guidelines, that if you're less than the age of 35, that you should try for a year before actively seeking fertility assistance or advice. Yeah. Over 35, it should be six months. My recommendation is, don't wait. You want to, you want to prepare your body for pregnancy. Um, see a doctor to pre- best help you prepare. Mm-hmm. And then if you're not comfortable with the fact that at six months you're not pregnant, even if you're 23, see someone. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you find that, you know, some people are blocking you from seeking that advice, keep, keep seeing another doctor. Go doctor shopping. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're, you're a consumer. You're consumers. You're allowed to go from one doctor to another. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel that doctors are going to jeopardise your care if you go from one fertility clinic to another because that's your choice to do that. So um, I would say seek, seek advice early. Mm. This is another question that is very... We haven't touched on this specific one. What is the cost of egg freezing if you start in your early 30s? What, what is the cost people are looking at? It varies. It can be anywhere between five to ten grand. It depends on the reason that you're freezing your eggs. So if I have a, a young girl who's 23 who's had severe endometriosis and she has a very low ovarian reserve with an AMH of 10 or whatever is low for that age group, I would recommend uh, egg freezing under Medicare. Mm. So um, she's covered by Medicare. She will get rebates for that because I find that it's, you know, it's the more ethical way to approach her issue. Um, so it really varies. It varies on the patient. Mm. Uh, it's a very individual thing. There's a lot of questions coming through for you, doctor. Um, <laughs> when you're doing IVF continually over years, how do you know when you're flogging a dead horse? IVF companies are listed. It's a business model. When do you stop? The patient knows when to stop. Um, obviously as a doctor you don't want to give people false hope and uh, I've had quite a number of people crying in my rooms because I I give them the stats and it's upsetting Um, but people patients know when to call it Uh, it's up to them to know their options Um, but women, their partners know Um, But I think primarily it's very important that doctors don't give patients false hope. And it's very hard to do that because you don't want to upset patients. You don't want to see people crying in your office, but that's your job. Um, You have to be honest, uh, but give them all the options. Yeah. Um, My friend recently ended her 10-year relationship and engagement because her partner was breadcrumbing about children. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> Let's just rewind. <laughs> that's a, that could be a new term. Break coming. Hashtag. What does it mean? Coming without wanting the children. <laughs> Bread coming. <laughs> wow, if there's one thing you leave here with today, it'll be that stuck in your head. Um, breadcrumbing about children. This is a serious question. It goes back to what we were talking about with Sheree. What advice would you give her? 
Do we have any advice for someone who's in a Sheree-like position or a position like this person who's written in with a partner with 10 years and, and not committing? Freeze your eggs. You can still be in a relationship yeah. and freeze your eggs. A lot, of, a lot of women do this. Oh, yeah? In relationships? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've, they've been with a guy for a few years. He's not really sure. She's like, nah, I'm not going to wait for him. Um, where I get a bit ticked off is when I find out that he hasn't contributed a cent to that. Yeah. And that's when yeah. I'm like, why should she be dipping into her super to mm. freeze eggs because he's not really sure? Mm. Um, but women are doing this and, you know, but guys are like, well, I understand you have to do this. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on what you would say to someone in that situation? I, I think that you have to have, like, you have to have a firm conversation. You have to take responsibility for where your body is at. And if, if someone's sort of bred... Crumbing. <laughs> um, I was drinking water. That could have been really bad. <laughs> you're, you're engaging in that. You know, yeah. you can say, this is what I want and I want it in the next six months because I'm 33 or I'm 34 and I'd like to have two or three children. Mm. If you don't give that to me, then I'm sorry, I'm going to have to leave the relationship because I love you but I want to have children. I think that take responsibility and ownership for your part of the relationship as well. You know, you can't just say, well, you know, I've been in it for 10 years and now I'm 43 like leave him when you're 36 (laughs) you know yeah Um, give you you take control of your own body yeah Gina did you have any thoughts on that yeah I I think it's fine to be firm about that stuff I mean the reality that you can't change the reality of how fertility Mm. works and I think that also like there are so many things that we take responsibility for in relationships whether it's contraception and if this couple does end up having kids then the burden the physical burden of that will be on her not him so I think yeah I think people should feel empowered to be more assertive about it totally yeah and if if he wanted to do it then he would you know I think that's ultimately it and if he has respect for you and the age of your body and stuff yeah you know um Dr. Natasha, what do we know about the 90% of women who don't ever use their eggs? Are we collecting data on them and their fertility choices or outcomes? Well, there's a great uh, PhD candidate in Melbourne called Molly at Monash University uh, who gave a great talk about this very topic. Uh, We are slowly collecting data. Um, We definitely have a lot of data on hand. But there's a lot of work to be done in this area mm. um, because there are concerns around the fact that we are creating these dark, big kind of banks of eggs and are we, how ethical is this and, mm. and how much money are we wasting? We're wasting money. Do you have any sense anecdotally from your own, the people you see, why some of them don't come back for their eggs? Do you know? So either they get pregnant naturally, um, they, they decide they don't want kids, uh, but it's usually because they've they've conceived um, spontaneously, the natural way, the good old-fashioned mm. way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I haven't had that many patients come back to use their eggs. Yeah, okay. So, wow. Um, all right, here's another one. Do you think a woman's decision to have children would be different if the burden of caring for children was equal and there was better institutional support? I mean, my guess to this is like a blaring yes, mm. but uh, yeah, Gina? <laughs> Completely. Like, yeah. you, you, the, the labour, every type of labour, like, you could list, comes into this question for so many people because, um, yeah, they know what they're signing up for and they know that it's probably not going to be equitable. I, th- I think it's, yeah, really that simple. 
and and we haven't socialized the cost of reproduction or, or child bearing or child rearing mm-hmm. like i know there are ivf stuff and whatever but like um <coughs> increasingly i think we see having kids as almost like a luxury choice that you have to get to this certain level of financial stability um housing stability which is obviously bloody impossible in a city like sydney um and that kind of rhetoric like it's it it's classist for one mm-hmm. um but yeah we i think there's this notion that you have to uh yeah get to a certain point um until you're you, you don't feel guilty about having kids i guess as well yeah yeah absolutely this is an interesting one my family is afro-latina culturally culturally there is such a focus on having big families how do we stay close to culture but also make a choice on fertility I don't know if any of you would have a thought on this. Mm. Brooke, I don't know if you have thoughts on... Yeah, blackfellas have big families too. I'm one of six. You're one of six? Yeah, Mm. I'm the oldest. And um, it's really challenging, that sort of family pressure. And, you know, like going around and playing with your cousins and being around family and sharing meals and, you know, spending holidays and stuff like that together is such a huge part of being a black fella. Like, last time I was home in Musselbrook in the Hunter Valley, um, Nen said to me, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have a baby? And she was, Mm. like, really upset at me because it's sort of like you're defying what it means to be a black father because it's, it's sort of rooted in, in, in community and like communal living and, and yeah. stuff. It's almost like I wasn't contributing. How do you deal with that pressure and that sort of... Um, it was really challenging actually. It, it was a bit upsetting. Not upsetting in a way that was like oh my god, Nan, don't say that. Like, that's so mean. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I was just like, wow, they don't place the same value on the things that I do. So it just really became quite clear that, you know, I, I feel like I contribute so much to the world and, you know, help young boys and girls think about what their potential is and, you know, contribute to the discourse around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and, you know, policy and things like that. And I was like, oh, but you just think that my contribution to the world is going to be having heaps of kids. Mm. And, you know, to be fair, that's what her contribution was. She's like nine kids. Yeah, well, mm. yeah, if that, that's a really tricky one. That's in my, like, I'm Pakistani heritage, and yes, a couple of generations ago, there were big families because there wasn't contraception, but my mother was always like... No TV. <laughs> no t- well, yeah, that too. But, um, no, my mother was always very, don't have kids. They ruin your life. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, but they're a lot of work. <laughs> so that really informed my choices <laughs> growing up. Um, Natasha, any advice for queer women who are much more likely to require IVF with their fe- female partner and the notion of social infertility, which is a term I hadn't heard of before, mm. actually. Yeah. I was having this discussion with one of my colleagues in Melbourne. Um, uh, you know, now, now same-sex marriage is recognised. So... Why shouldn't then uh, a queer couple coming through fertility treatment access Medicare? Mm. Right. So I see it that way. Uh, so now my my approach to Medicare is a little bit different. Uh, it's I think it's great when two uh, women come together because we've got two uteruses <laughs> and four ovaries, right? <laughs> and I'm telling you, you can do so much with that. 
um, there is so much choice. Uh, you know, like it's it's amazing, and and you can definitely have a, a big family um, being a queer couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 it's great because I often assess the two women together, and you know, you go through their history, and you you do all these tests and investigations, and you realise, oh wow, you know, your uterus is full of fibroids, and uh, we probably shouldn't use your uterus, but we can use your eggs because mm. you're younger, you've got your, your AMH is better, your egg quality is better. So um, I think to be optimistic there, because uh, yeah, I think it's great. Despite the sperm shortage, there is... Oh, no, no, you'll always find sperm. Don't worry, you'll find sperm. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, no, you're no problems there. (laughs) Uh, A bit of a general advice question here. How do I navigate dating and not being sure if I want children? I'm scared to tell potential partners this for fear it will turn them off. Gina, any thoughts on... Uh, I think that's so tricky and I like I have so many friends who are in that situation and feel like they kind of need to bring things up early because they don't want to waste time with someone but they also don't want to bring what's perceived as a kind of heaviness or seriousness or you know if we're being honest like clinginess or whatever to Mm. a first date and I I don't have anything helpful to say in, in Except that I wish it wasn't the case. And yeah. That if she should go out with that guy, the Tinder guy. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But also I think, like, if you are with some... If you're dating someone who sees that as some kind of turn-off, then he's probably a fucking loser. Mm-hmm. You don't want to date him anyway. Like, I think... I don't know. Or, God forbid, be a, have a kid with him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Brooke, you, you said you're not sure or not so pent up on... You must have a kid now. Do you, does that affect what you say to potential new partners now if you're dating? Like, has this filtered into how you communicate with new partners? I think a couple of years ago I would have been really inclined to bring it up sort of straight away and been like, I really want kids, so, you know, sort of opt out now if you don't want that. Um, but now I'm so much more relaxed about it. I don't know what it is that shifted for me, but I'm just sort of going with the flow and I don't... Like, I, I don't know if it's going to happen for me, and I'm so okay with it. And I feel so much more relaxed dating, almost to the point where I'm like... Like, I think if someone came to me and said, I definitely don't want children, then I might not want to go out with them. Mm. And you probably, think it's because you've frozen your eggs, you feel that way? Yeah, maybe. I just think as well, like, I've seen so many friends really struggle with their um, identity and their place in the world because of fertility and you know put so much put up with so much in relationships because they really wanted something that perhaps wasn't going to happen for them at that particular time and and me too like I definitely endured things in relationships because I really wanted a baby and I just thought I just I'm not doing that Mm. so we got Natasha's final piece of advice for the room as someone who's been through the egg freezing process do you have something you want to leave the room with in terms of what to do or not to do. Just do it. Like, you will not regret going through the process because you're going to know one way or another, like, you know, how many eggs you've got, how healthy they are. You will never... You won't regret it. And you might love the hormones too, so there's that. (laughs) Right? All right. We are out of time. That was... Super interesting, and I hope everyone got something out of that. I I found that fascinating. I want to thank our panelists, Dr. (laughs) Natasha Andreatis, Brooke Boney, and Gina Rushen.
Watch this talk and others from All About Women 2023 on stream, the streaming platform from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching at stream.sydneyoperahouse.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.